Chapter 13 of Joaquin, the Claude Duval of California. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Tatiana Chichilla. Joaquin, the Claude Duval of California, or The Marauder of the Mines, a romance founded on truth, by Henry L. Williams. Chapter 13. The Retirement of the Ravagers, A Panther Hunt, The Lovers, Arkansas's Little Army, on arriving at the Arroyo Cantura, the Grand Master of the Marauders was convinced that they had not been inactive. Several hundred horses galloped about over the plain, careering in delight at being at liberty. Instead of the ordinary rude camp, rose very pretty tents, clustered together into quite a pretty village. Grouped around, the brigands were passing the hours in playing cards or dreamily smoking. A little way off, on a knoll well carpeted with sward, seated beside their gallants, were seven or eight girls. Their black eyes glittering, were smiling, laughing, and chatting with the greatest lightness of heart. As soon as Joaquin had entered the circle of his followers, compliments and congratulations began to be showered upon him from all sides. At the same time, the necklace of a woman's arms encircled his neck, and the beaming eyes of Clarina welcomed him. Her joy at meeting him again prevented her from uttering a word. After his thanks to his confederates, the chief withdrew with his mistress. They sat down under the trees at some distance. Joaquin, murmured the girl, as her magnificent tresses were tossed back from her shoulders and bosom. You've been so long away that I could not help feeling sad and fearing the worst. And lonely as I have been, it was dreadful to be thinking, thinking, grieving all the while. Lonely, Clarina? How's that, when here's half a dozen gay ones about you? Alas, it was their very mirth that made me more sorrowful. Indeed, explain yourself. I must know the cause of your moodiness. Weeping? Is the thing so serious as all this? I am weeping, said she, hiding her face. I cannot, cannot help my tears flowing. My heart is ready to break. Do you remember your promise? Oh, when will you give up this dangerous and detestable mode of life to return to our dear, beautiful land? Our land? Oh, would to heaven that I had never left it. I would not be at this moment what I am. But have courage, Clarina. A few months more, and we will see again the days of our youth. These hours of darkness will float all away. A shadow lingered on the girl's face at remembrance of the peaceful past, but as with her truly womanly nature, she loved Murrieta in spite of all his crimes. She brightened when she gazed into those eyes which had never lowered before any man's, and met hers now, hopefully. She found excuse for him the treatment which he had unjustly met, treatment as bitter as the waters of Laguna Sal. She knew most intimately the story of his mind, its sufferings, its yielding to passions, and the long course of villainy which had followed the loss of its former purity. He had declared to her that he would put an end to his career as soon as his vengeance should be glutted, and he should have obtained money equal to what he estimated his losses to be. Then, he added, he would retire into Sonora, where he would live in the woods with her. She listened to his project with the utmost confidence, for he was sincere in his intentions, and he cared little for whatever the world might think of him, regarding him herself, as was natural, as the handsomest, noblest, and most generous of men. She was not wise enough to have remarked that the greatest criminals have always foiled their aims by never knowing when to leave off. "'Are we now near to happiness?' she asked in her sweetest voice. "'Yes, my love. My vengeance is all but satisfied, and my fortune will be complete when I have added a few more thousands to it.' As he finished these words, illustrative of the pitcher going too often to the well, he was disturbed by one of his men coming up at a gallop to seek him. What he had to say will be repeated after a few events previously occurring are related.' One of the bandits, while hunting, had come upon the track of a panther, quite fresh, and he brought the news to camp. The rest determined to have some excitement, and they entered the woods. For a quarter or half an hour, the bushes were beaten fruitlessly. Then a pistol shot was heard, and all ran towards the point, greatly contracting the circle. The lithe beast had tried to steal past Guerrero and Antonio, 
one of whom had repulsed him with a snapshot, which missed him, however. The whole ring closed amid shouting, and the poor animal, more frightened than ferocious, did not know which way to turn. He made a couple of rushes, but did not dare to receive a volley. At last, the continual popping of firearms made it desperate, and it was seen every now and then leaping up and down in the brush. So small was the circle of hunters now that they were nearly in double ranks. The critical moment came. Creeping forward, belly to ground, and the grass hiding it somewhat, the long, slender body approached one part of the human enclosure. A spring placed it on a low-lying oak bough, from which a second leap took it straight at the heads of Garcia and three of his neighbors, who stooped or threw themselves to one side or the other. Jack, while falling on his knees, fired two barrels of his revolver at the smooth-skinned form cleaving the air above and by him, and when the brute touched the ground, it tumbled over a bush upon its nose in a confused manner that told of the balls having entered its body. It sought to fly, having had enough of fighting, but a general discharge riddled it from tip to tail of ear, and it rolled over in the wild clover, making the dust fly in its agony. Without waiting to bid his companion stop, Jack jumped upon the body, and avoiding the claws more by good fortune than from any prudence, drove his knife through nerve and bone into one of the glazing eyes. He took good care to jump back at the moment. The tortured beast, as if galvanized, bent nearly double, gave a dreadful lashing out like a vicious horse with its powerful hind feet, and gnashing its teeth, rolled over and over like a cat in a fit. At last, the paroxysm died away, and the carcass lay motionless, with stiffening limbs and exposed teeth. "'The skin is almost too much riddled to be of any good,' remarked Valenzuela, as he saw Garcia plying his knife and flaying the warm body. "'I only want some strips of skin. Hello!' exclaimed Jack, interrupting himself, and suddenly quitting his stripping off the hide to dig into the belly with his blade. "'Boys, scatter and find a fresh trail. Here's half a ramrod of a gun, and none of us carried any.' "'None,' said Garcia." But are you sure it ain't an old wound? Why, nothing could live long with so much in them. Four inches of hickory with an iron top? said Jack, holding up the unusual projectile. No wonder the panther fought shy of us. She was only recovering from a hurt. Yes, yes, I see. They let the chase of animals go for that of the suspected man or men. At length, about a mile from Cantura Creek, one of the outlying scouts struck a quite fresh trail made by no less than twelve or fifteen men. This was the intelligence which had been brought to the leader. It was important to give no stranger time to leave the valley after having been so near to the bandit's den as to have divined their proximity, else they must have been blind fellows not to be supposed to have taken to desert life. Such an event as the secret being spread was defeat to the Mexican chief's plans, at the same time as compelling him to change the headquarters of his band. Choosing without delay one of his best mounts, Joaquin started off, accompanied by twenty selected bravos, foremost among whom were his usual right-hand men, three-fingered Jack and Valenzuela the no less brave and faithful Guerra, Antonio, and Fernando. This detachment followed the discovered track at a pressing pace, as the language of the turf goes, for a couple of hours, when there suddenly reappeared before them eight or nine Americans, who were holding in their horses, waiting carelessly for them to come on. They hesitated for an instant, slackened their pace, and halted at a dozen yards' distance. Joaquin had remarked that one of the strangers was that miner who had tried to arrest him in a gambling saloon of Sonora. "'What brings you into this valley?' challenged the captain of Banditi, pushing on for a horse's length further to better see that man's features and make sure of his belief. The leader of the party hesitated. Now Arkansas, as the man was nicknamed who had failed to take Joaquin, had been so tormented by the rough jokers for his miss that he had made up his mind that he would endeavor once more to make his word true. He found a difficulty in getting as many men as he required, and, with one or two friends who did stand by him, he joined a company of twelve formed by the present leader, a New Englander, whose speculative turn had seen a fair chance in the high rewards out for the Mexican brigand, and off they had gone. He had formed the idea that the chief was a daredevil enough, 
but that his supporters were a cowardly crew of cutthroats, who were nothing except he inspired them. But the sudden appearance of Joaquin at the head of a score of men, well-equipped, well-mounted, and armed, all ugly-looking desperados, threw the speculator on banditti stock all aback. And he, though brave enough too, would have liked to have steered one way or another, or gone about altogether with every stitch of sail out alow, aloft, and on studding sail booms, at the bold challenge. He had such a vein of circumspection within him that he felt sure nothing was to be gained by fighting, unless a bullet or a knife blade is a benefit. So he kept silent. Joaquin grew more and more impatient, and cried in a tone no sweeter than his former speech was couched in. "'Did you hear me, or must I explain myself more clearly?' "'Oh, I heard,' answered the Yankee, as he took a quarter of a fresh plug as a chew, and glanced around on his associates as if to ask them what should be done. "'Then what do you say? Quick, who are you, and what in the name of hoofs and horns fetches you into this valley?' "'Hold on, stranger, no hurry,' replied the other, who had calculated on his best course. "'Give a man time to turn over what you say. You don't seem to be half-civilized by the way you hurry up the cakes. Let the water fill the sluice, can't you?' To say something, though, and give you a lesson in politeness, our presence in this district of which you seem to be the selectman is because we're a band of hunters after game. If you don't want to pick a muss, we won't disturb you. There, what do— At these words, which the hardy members of his prudent general's army heard and discussed, surprise and scorn appeared on their bronze fizes. Several dull growls had already been audible, like the warning voices around Cape Mendocino. With a curse, Arkansas put his horse in advance of the speaker's. Boys, I'm captain now, eh? You, yes, sail in, to hell with him. I'm sure I know you, cried Arkansas, charging Joaquin. You are... Crack, ack, ack, went the Mexicans' pistols to cover their chief. End of chapter 13